Hello and welcome to Book Soup. I'm Meg. I'm Lauren. I'm Michelle. Pull up a chair as we serve you some of our favorite reads, tips of creativity, and cultural observations. So relax and grab your favorite drink. Get ready to laugh. Fair warning, this ain't no PBS. <laughs> Now, on today's episode of Book Soup, we are going to be talking romance, 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 romance. And we're just going to talk it up. And we're just going to, we're going to throw the covers off. Is that a horrible thing to say? Is <laughs> I, I don't want to rip, be too punny. Rip the, rip the bodice. Rip the bodice. <laughs> um, I approve of that. <laughs> rip the bodice and talk about it. Now, we're, now, Let's be clear what romance is and what it isn't. Let's define our terms because I think that that we need to be scientific about this. So let's define our terms. Okay. So, I mean, I don't know what the official definition of romance is, but coming into this, I can say that I did not read romance. I thought it was smut and trash and garbage and insert any a number of insults on a genre that I had never ironically read. Like, how dare I judge something that I'd never read? So it wasn't until law school that I started reading romances because one of my friends told me, oh, by the way, did you know you write romance? And I think I almost slapped her. I was like, how dare you? You know, it was just terrifying to, for someone to tell me that because I had never read it and I had this preconceived yeah. notion that it was garbage. Was she referring to the briefs you were writing in no, law was, school? No, she was oh. referring to <laughs> In my other life, I was a lawyer. <laughs> no, and I used to not pay attention in class because I got all my reading done ahead of time because unlike most people I went to school with, I could actually read and all the rest of them were like sociology and criminology majors. And apparently reading and writing were not things they ever had to learn. So I ended Harsh. up... Well, it's true. I can say it. It's true. It's, it's absolutely true. They, they, they had trouble writing briefs. So I was always writing on we my stories in class. We just lost all the sociology majors. <laughs> Yeah, there's hundreds and thousands of, of the non-readers who are listening to a podcast about books. <laughs> I mean, it happens. I'm just speaking the facts, counselor. You know. But um, I was writing fiction during class, and one of my other friends, who was also a rare writer in the class, and she was like, "Hey, you know, you you write romance. We should totally like you know explore this more." And I remember thinking, "How dare you?" And then I, she handed me a a, a book, and then I read it, and I went, "Oh my god, this is amazing! What was I thinking? I was wrong all these years." Mm. So you know, I think everyone thinks it's just silly books full of sex, and at the I end think of the day, I think they think that also, but I also think that it's not. I think that I would totally agree with silly books full of sex as to what people think it is. Yeah, mm -hmm. but I also think that people think it's just for women. Oh yeah. That people yeah. think it's all about women falling in love. Um and their their never ending quest to get that mm -hmm. marriage proposal and stuff like that. But you know, now romances, you know, there's there's uh L L G wait a second, L G what what is romance? <laughs> L LGBT LGBTQ. Yeah. yeah, there's lots Plus. of different. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, I think the thing is, is that, you know, we love to make fun of love. But at the end of the day, when you think about anything in the world that's worth being motivated for in the universe, it's our quest for love, whether it's love from a parent, love from a sibling, love from a lover or a spouse, love for a child. You know, love is the end all motivator. It, it's, you know, if you're into religion and you believe in any, anything like that, you know, usually love and it plays some role in 
you know, dogma and doctrine and, and beliefs. And, you know, at the end of the day, it is what drives us. And so I find it incredibly interesting that as a society, we mock the genre that promotes compassion, empathy, understanding, overcoming obstacles. These are all things that are in your average romance novel, but yet it's okay to watch two shirtless chicks banging it on HBO and Game of Thrones. And that's not romance. In fact, it's actually not about love. It's not about positive emotions. It's just trashy sex for men who are in their basements that want to watch that. And yet we don't make fun of them. We're making fun of women and, and it's a very American thing. It's for sure. yeah. So I find that very, very interesting. And I just, that's, that was one of my biggest conclusions when I started writing romance was I thought this is the most mis misunderstood, misvalued and, you know, um, frankly, treated misogynistic on so many levels. And I thought, what better genre than to start writing real interesting adventure stories, strong heroes, strong heroines, more importantly, and 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 just there just happens to be a love story in it. You know? Yeah. And I think too that you could you could take the argument, you could take the side argument that, you know, what great novel is not a romance. You it's know, such Gone a part with of the Wind. Lives. Yeah, yeah I mean, exactly. Gone with the Wind. Um, even you know, The Great Gatsby and everything. I mean, there's there's right. there's romantic elements in all of right. the great books. Exactly. Yeah, there because really that's are. because that's a part of your life that you have to wrap your head around. Whatever is happening, um, the relationships you're in are usually important, and so mm -hmm. it yeah. makes perfect sense that there'd be a genre completely dedicated to what's happening in your relationships and your um, romance life and and what that looks like and how that's affecting every other part of your life. So makes sense to me. I do. I think you make a very good point, but I think that we need to, I mean, let's focus on the sexual aspect of it because I mean, let's be frank. I mean, when a lot of people want to get, want to read a romance, they want to read about sex. And, and I don't Fair think enough. that's necessarily a horrible thing. Um, you know, we read about violence and mm -hmm. I, I just don't think that, I mean, we're so puritanical mm -hmm. even to this day in America. And that's actually a really good point. So one of the interesting things, the reason romance, um, you know, ironically, we have in society a history of looking down upon anything that women value. So, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's cooking, you know, men are, are pressured into not enjoying cooking. They're pressured into not enjoying housework. I have two brothers who are excellent cooks. I can't cook my way out of a paper bag. Please don't ask me. You will hate what you eat. <laughs> You'll be like, what is this burned thing that smells like death? <laughs> oh, that's your hamburger tonight. You know, good luck, honey. <laughs> so I think it's really interesting that, you know, women, especially in the 80s, we started seeing what was defined as the bodice ripper. And it was women who were finally reclaiming their right to discuss sexuality, to read about it, to feel it. Because, you know, back in, you know, the 1800s and the time, one of the time periods that I write, one of the most interesting things is that women were told that if they experienced pleasure during sex, that something was wrong with it. They were sinful creatures. They were supposed to just endure it while the men could get his jollies off whenever he wants. Yeah, and so, but I, I'm going to interrupt there and I'm going to say that, you know, I've read those 1980s, 1970s bodice rippers and everything like that. And I think a lot of them, and that's, that's one of my, that's my going least favorite time period. Oh, sure. Because sure. I think a lot of them, you know, play into that rape fantasy. Well, and so that was the other thing. There's been a lot of amazing and interesting um, psychological research about 
what was the, they call it forced seduction. And forced seduction, women were exploring, because rape is a fact of our life. You know, like, well, mm-hmm. there's scary statistics about how many out of 10 women, how many, I can't say it off my top of my head, but it's like more than half have been sexually assaulted or harassed. And then about a third or so have been actually raped in our lifetime, like currently today in today's world. And it was even worse back then. And, you know, back then it was the fault of a woman who got raped, that she was raped because she happened to just be there and some dudes like, haha, you know, right. getting lucky tonight. And then it's the woman's fault for tempting him. And so, you know, women had to learn to go, how can we justify, how can we understand, how can we make ourselves survive and experience. So part of the, this exploration was in literature, they were exploring forced seduction because they're like, okay, this guy took advantage of me and it was awful, but I am stuck with him now. I am married to him or I have to do this with him. Yeah. Cause they always, in those seventies or eighties, they always, it seemed to me like they yeah. always had to get married to right. save the farm, the estate, the castle or right. something like that. Yeah. So it's a way because, you know, historically women have always had to make their bodies as a sacrifice for somebody else, whether it was to save their family, save their farm. You know, women just did not have control of their own destinies Mm. because we weren't allowed to have jobs. We weren't allowed to work. You know, it was, you know, if you, if your family had enough money or if you were in a certain political social position, but you know, I mean, basically we have been forced into victimhood for so long and this is, it was a long growth experience and it took about 15 to 20 years in the romance genre for women to go, okay, we no longer need alpha heroes who force. Now we're writing alpha heroes who protect and who partner with a heroine. So we don't have those. But I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back with you on that. I'm pushing back, pushing, pushing back because then we had the phenomenal success of 50 shades of gray. Yeah. And fifty but that was not gray. for seduction. Don't get me started. <laughs> I mean, I tried to. <laughs> I'll read be it, honest. I don't think it's romance. Well, uh, I don't think it's. I personally don't think it's romance. But I think that I think that it played into that whole idea of you know, like the control. I forget her name, Anastasia. Yeah. Um, her control was taken away. Like she had to give up the control and everything. I like sometimes that. wonder if that was supposed to be a humorous book and then everybody took it seriously. And she went like, yeah, I'm going to, I meant that completely seriously because it's like the, the way that she approaches it seems like she was trying to well, write satire so, and just didn't do a yeah. good job. Well, so the problem with 50 shades of gray, and I apologize to any 50 shades of gray fans. Um, but what what she did was she took a culture she did not research, which is dominant and submissives, which is not gender specific, by the way. Right. There are whole groups of men who are submissives and women who are dominant. And that is something that if you have that, it is built into you biologically. And there's nothing wrong with the fact that you might need someone to sort of take control in the bedroom. It's not, it doesn't mean that you spend your entire life walking around your kitchen naked with a leash on while your husband says, make me a sandwich pet. You know, that's not, that's not what these cultures they are about. God. They actually work really <laughs> hard. They work really hard at, you know, in healthy relationships right. like that, at figuring out what the consent is right. and how to acknowledge that at all. Yeah. Times. And so the true community of the, the, the DS, the dominant submissive community, it's all about trust. And there really is like, there is actually no, when a submissive surrenders power to a dominant, 
that is actually the ultimate power move where the submissive has true power because true dominance, not sadists, but true dominance can only enjoy domination when they have been given the power by the submissive. So it is a give and take equal relationship. It's not about one person always lording over the other. It is the, I am so strong that I am giving momentary control over to you in this bedroom for this particular activity. And the other person enjoys it only because the submissive has agreed to that trust and surrender. So technically in their dogma of theirs, of that society, they, that's how it works. So the submissive is not the weak one. They're actually the stronger person. Right. And so I hate that in that those books, she completely mischaracterizes it. And she, you know, she makes Anastasia look very weak, very unwilling. And since Anastasia wasn't a natural submissive personally, and Christian Grey was only a dominant because of his child abuse, she, she completely sort of just blew up what that community and that society really is about. And it, you know, she, she implied that anybody who's a dominant was beaten or abused as a child. And that's not how it works. It's not how those people are, you know, and I think it was just a really unfair portrayal and she didn't research it. And I know those communities when those books were released were very upset. There's a scene in that too. It's like a really brief scene where I think Christian is at his psychiatrist's, which is also problematic, right? Because the psychiatrist is talking to Christian and to Anastasia and is also a friend who shows up at their house. I mean, no therapist is going to cross no boundaries, that line. Yeah. But at one point, the psychiatrist basically says something along the lines of, um, I really should uh, explore uh, both of your issues because yeah. Anastasia also, also has issues that she's putting herself in this position to begin with, you know? And, but they never actually do. And I would have read that book and really enjoyed it. Let's talk about the issues that have brought these yeah. people together. Cause this is not a normal, the actual conflict. This is not a normal yeah. situation and it's not healthy. Well, oh, you know, I think you're right. I think that the whole Fifty Shades of Grey thing, that's that's a whole other episode. Like yeah. we can do yeah. hours on Fifty Shades of Grey. Sure. And I know you want us to, but we're not going to, we'll put that off. So you'll oh, have to keep tuning in to see when we do that. But getting back to just our, our initial discussion about romance. I, we were talking about before we did this um, podcast, we were talking about mentioning some of our fam- favorite romances and why they meant a lot to us and everything like that. And to your point, Lauren, when we were talking about, you know, women accepting sexuality and everything like that, I, I'm going to put in my category of one of my favorite romances, but I have to explain why, is The Bride by Julie Garwood. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever read The Bride. I have, yes. You've read that? Okay. So the rough premise is you've got Scottish Highlanders and of course they have to get married. The women have to get married to save the castle to keep or whatever like that. Of course. And so he's very dominant. And anyway, anyway, I got that book in college and I actually, I went out and I bought that book in college and it was the first Kind of time, I want to say, in my life that I knew that I was buying something, and I'm putting up my air quotes here, sexual. <laughs> um, but it meant, you How know, dare it you know? was. But it was like, you know, I bought it specifically because it was 
sexual. And, you know, I, I have since pulled that book out and have tried to reread it. You know, and looking back, this is mm -hmm. 30 years later and everything like that. I'm like, oh, 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 no, I can't, I can't believe I, but I did. I loved that book. But I think more than anything else, that book remains a favorite near and dear to my heart because there was a sense of empowerment mm -hmm. in going out and making that purchase and knowing kind of that there would be sexy scenes in the book and that I was buying that and everything like that. And it just, I don't know. I mean, I, I, that, I don't want to say it was my favorite book as far as the story or the writing or anything like that, but I think it showed an evolution, uh, a point um, in my development, in my maturity and everything like that. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to throw that out there. I the think bride. that's probably why people who are younger really liked Fifty Shades. Not to go off on that, but that's probably related, right? Well, I think we all remember our first romance. Yeah. That we really enjoy. I mean, romances are supposed to be edgy, exciting, or mm -hmm. sweet and heartfelt. I mean, they're, yeah. they're supposed to promise you an emotional journey that also, because realistically, you know, we don't have, you know, you don't, when two people are married, they don't go into a two bedroom room, like in the 1950s TV shows, and then a stork brings a baby. So to me, like, I don't like reading overly sweet romances where there's no sex, mm -hmm. because I feel like I'm getting gypped. I'm like, where's the realistic portrayal of their full relationship yeah, there the you know the, the sex it's not about and, and i know this i talk to a lot of readers and i i hear the same thing and they all uh, tend to agree with me is that you want the book to have sex in it not because of the sex itself but because it's the culmination of their relationship it's like a physical manifestation mm -hmm. of that final moment where they love each other or they're getting to love each other and so a lot of my readers say it's not the sex scene, it's the build up to that first kiss or the build up to that For first sure. actual sex scene that the excitement, the the you know, the the anticipation, you know. So whenever I'm writing my books, I try to think, okay, as a reader, what's the part that I loved most? Was it that moment when the guy right when he leaned in, you know, and she's standing against a wall and they're they've been teasing each other and now they're they're close and it's gonna happen. I mean, that's the mm -hmm. part that gets you excited. It's that moment where you know emotionally they're connecting, they're having this moment. And then when the kiss finally happens, it's you know, you're experiencing it with that extra added emotion. So when I read Fifty Shades, I wasn't emotionally invested. It, it was sure. just it was just kind of reading sex on the page and I was like, okay, you know, this was like kind of like watching a softcore HBO kind of show and I didn't mm -hmm. feel any emotional attachment. But when you read really well written and there are so many well written romances out True. there, you totally feel connected to those characters. And when it finally happens, you know, they talk about how, you know, romance readers are actually sort of addicted to drugs because it releases serotonin. When you finish a book, you actually get like a little happy kick in your head, like mm -hmm. an actual release of a internal drug in your system. And you want to keep repeating that. So you keep reading romances and that's why romance readers are voracious and they read three to five books a week. Yeah. yeah and I think too, also to your point is that whenever I finish a romance, I'm always a little bit done with it. I don't, I don't mean that in a horrible way, but I'm like, you know, so much of it is the lead up. And then when you get to the end and you get to the happily ever after, I'm always a little bit, I'm always a little bit on the downside because I'm like, start another one. adventure <laughs> is over. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, the adventure. I mean, I, I think that women, men, whoever, whatever, I mean, mm -hmm. who, who doesn't want to be whisked away on a pirate ship or, you know, in, in have some sort of mast, 
I don't want to say masked intruder because that sounds kind of weird, but you know, like, you know, yeah, like Wesley from uh, the princess bride. Yeah. Or something. yeah I yeah. mean, what is so wrong? I mean, people was like, Oh, well, it's we used to have, we have this friend Donna and she was totally, she was like, I, I don't read romances because I, I don't ever need to be saved and everything like that. Well, I do. It's, I a, need to it's, be a, saved. Form of, it's a form of game playing too, right? Like, you know, we don't normalize getting dressed up in the bedroom when people don't like to talk about it, but why can't you have a little bit of exploration? It can just happen in the reading as well as in your bedroom. Well, and, and the whole concept of getting saved actually no longer even exists because the average romance writer that writes in today's modern world, I don't think I've written a single scenario where the heroine has actually been a true damsel in distress. You know, I've had actually more times than I can count where I've written a story where the heroine's actually the one that sort of bails the hero out. Yeah. So it's more about partnerships. It's about adventures together. And and I don't think I've ever had anybody need to be saved. I'm using air quotes now. Well, but see, I don't, I don't mm -hmm. have any problem with admitting that there are times I need to be well, saved. Well, sure, yeah. And I enjoy... But it's reading. not the whole genre. No, it's not the whole <laughs> yeah, genre. Yeah, and it doesn't, it's not what the entire book has to yeah. be about. Right, but I do enjoy reading a situation where, and it doesn't have to be a heterosexual relationship, you know, it doesn't, but where you have one person really needing help mm -hmm. for whatever reason, right. monetary, financial, emotional, physical, something like that. And then another person comes in and says, I will provide that help. And so then that aspect of saving and everything like that to me is very refreshing because the well, dog eat dog world out there. We all are vulnerable. We can pretend that we're not right. You know, you can act like I've got everything together, but that's not true. There are always areas where you need somebody else's help or you need, uh, you know, some kind of connection. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I actually think it's refreshing to think about it. And romance is a place where you can, you know, so yeah, you why find not? that ideal partner who, who helps you. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. when it's done well, when romances are done well, they're just so good. Um, I know one of my favorite authors, and I think Michelle and I have discussed this. I don't know mm -hmm. if Lauren and I have, is Eloise James. Um, oh, yeah. Because you just learn so much in her books too. Well, she's a she's a professor at Fordham University in her her day job, so she's very into actively teaching, you know, lots of interesting historical facts through the plot. Mm -hmm. You know, you're actively learning mm -hmm. with those books. So yeah, I mean, I think two thumbs up for Eloise James. Yay, yeah, Eloise. Okay, so now let's talk about now. Let's kind of take a listen to the other ladies in the room, what their favorite romances were. And we could kind of talk about genres. Genres. Okay. Do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go? Uh, I'll go first. So obviously I, I, I actually love almost all the books that I read, uh, but I decided to pick out one particular one that I read in the last half of 2020 that I really, truly enjoyed because it just felt fresh. And the funny thing is, is it's not a new book. Um, the book is Never Marry a Cowboy by Lorraine Heath. And I've actually had the pleasure of talking with her online and doing an author like online event with her this year. And she's just absolutely fabulous. But this book was published in 2001. And it's actually, I started it, of course, only to discover it was like the second book or the third book in a series, naturally. And I've actually gone back and reread the other mm first two just because it was about a trio of Englishmen who've gone to Texas in the uh, I think the 18 
middle 1800s or right, actually right after the Civil War. And they're, these three Englishmen are trying to learn to be cattle ranchers and growing cotton. And, and they've all kind of come from these different walks of life in England. And this third book, I just remember the, the beginning shocked the hell out of me. I absolutely loved it because you're seeing a woman dying on her deathbed hmm. and her husband is declaring his love for her and holding her in his arms as she dies. And you're thinking, this is unbelievably sad. And then he walks out of the room and meets his twin brother. And then you realize the actual husband was sitting in the hall because he couldn't watch his own wife die. So the hero was the twin brother pretending wow. to be the husband. Okay, but he had been secretly in love with that woman his oh, whole life. My God. But because the hero <laughs> was the younger twin, he never got to marry that woman. She had to marry I the older son. The older twin. So much. <laughs> it, it, it was, and so, so he comes, he, his dad, of course, doesn't like him because he's a second kid. So mm -hmm. he sends him out to, you know, Texas and says, you know, leave England, go do something with your life, right. never come back. So he goes to fortune. Texas and what is the first thing he do does he gets suckered into marrying a woman who's going to die in a few months from like cholera or something like that. And so he marries another woman who's going to die and he wow. doesn't want to fall in love with her, which obviously he does, but it was just absolutely the most interesting, interesting plot, great characters. I just, I, I think I read it in a day and a half. I just couldn't put it down. Yeah. It's just great. I have to say though that, and I'm going to be critical for a moment. Let's, let's wait a second. Critical. Critical. No. I know we're shocked. But, you know, that's an interesting story. And you told me that interesting story. And if you said I had this book that was an interesting story and like that. But the cover and the back. See, this is where I get irritated. Uh -huh. So here we have. I'm going to describe the cover to you. <laughs> okay. So it's this beautiful cover orange critique. cover. Uh -huh. This beautiful orange that's cover. Important. And he doesn't have his shirt on. And his jeans are unbuttoned and he's leaning against a tree. And then she's got this very elaborate, ornate white gown. And then you've got two horses saddled in the back. So I saddled in the back of the, um, in the back of the scene there. Like on the horizon. So yes, on the horizon. So I'm sitting here and I'm looking at this and I'm just like, okay, first off, there was no freaking way she rode that horse in that gown. <laughs> and she didn't write it in that gown. And then it's like the horses are over here. And so then the, the image that the cover artist apparently wants us to believe is that they're riding along and then they're like, wait, hang on. We have to go do it by this tree. I don't know. I mean, I just think that this is, this is where I take issue mm -hmm. because the story that Lauren just told me, I thought was interesting. I thought was compelling and everything like that. If you had even given me because the font on it is beautiful and I like the colors. If you had even given me the author's name and just never marry a cowboy in the font with the colors and everything like that, but see, I think that this, I don't want, you know, cheapens it or right. makes it silly. I think that this is what's wrong with the romance industry today. So I have some insight about that okay. as, as an author who writes for this genre. So the main thing is, is that, I mean, obviously this was a 2001 publication. Mm -hmm. It has since had cover updates. It no longer has the current publications no longer have this cover. Um, 2001 was really close to the 90s in the 90s and 80s had very what traditional bodice ripping covers you know women swooning men always shirtless usually in 
kind of interesting body positions where you're thinking, yeah. why are they holding each other like that? That seems That's awfully right. uncomfortable. Has she lost consciousness? Yeah. She, <laughs> has she fainted dead away and now he's dragging her corpse through the desert? I don't know. So, right. so there is, there's definitely some problems with that. But now, you know, what we do is, and, and this applies to any genre. When readers are looking at books on the shelves, you want a cover that both stands out but you also want to cover that signals to the reader what genre it is and what the story promises. So early in the 80s and 90s, women readers learned to figure out that there were a couple of ways to recognize romance covers rather than another type of book. Because sometimes the titles like didn't always give it away, you know. They, they weren't always cute titles like The Bride or Never Marry Cowboy. Some of them had very, very different titles. And so you wouldn't know if they were romance. So putting a bodice ripper couple on the cover was a good way to signify that. And now we still do that a little. I have interesting conversations with my other historical romance writer friends. And we talk about, you know, I personally like to have couples on, you know, on my covers who are reclining in couches or they're mm -hmm. kissing or, you know, and there may be some cover, some clothes yeah. starting to come off because a lot of writers are starting to write a lot of sweet books that have no sex. And it's the worst thing in the world when a reader gets into your book and either they encounter sex and they didn't want it or they right. don't get the sex and they're really pissed off. Sure. And so you, you, either way is not good. You want to make sure you're kind of going, okay, how can I tell them this is the level of heat that's going to be expected in the book? Mm -hmm. Kind of like how shirtless male chest covers. <laughs> we love to talk about those. You kind of know that if his shirt's off on the cover, it's probably off in the book, which means there's probably going to be some fun, sexy times in there. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you have two cute people sitting on a bench holding hands by a lake, it might not have sex in it. So it's really about, you know, it's not so much you know, oh, it's trashy and we, and it's more, this is a signal to the reader of what they're getting into yeah. and it helps them know. Well, I just, I wanted to say that while you were um, waxing eloquent about that, <laughs> because you were, you were, and I, I myself have some, that's how I discovered one of my favorite authors was the cover art was incorrect for the book because I know Ooh, which that, book was that it was an Emily Loring book oh. and kind of what happened was there was some cover art on it that I thought was, it was very sixties looking and I like that mid-century modern stuff. And so I mm -hmm. picked it up and I started reading it. And then I was like, what in the world year was this written in? Because the, the context didn't uh, equate with the sixties. Anyway, anyway, long yeah. story short, I know that oftentimes publishers will just reissue a book with different cover art, just as you were sure. saying, just so you're pointing out. So I put down a little note over here that says cover art, because I think that would make a fascinating book soup discussion because there's so many good examples of that. And, you know, so many examples of that actually, be, you know, art, mm -hmm. the art of cover art. Yeah. So that's an aside for sure. On the side, I just put that down. I could talk about covers all day. I know because there's all like different ones and there's different, you know, in the romance covers and everything. I recently watched a girl on YouTube who just reads romance. She's one of those booktubers and she had gotten a book box. And I forget what you call it, but there's a name for it. And so they were specific to romance. I want to say in the seventies and early eighties, hmm. but it had like a flap. Like you, you oh, had step back art. Yeah. Step yes. back art. And so she oh, had yeah, gotten kind of a grab bag 
of step back art books and she was uh, uh, romance books and she was showing us them. She specifically wanted them for step back art mm -hmm. and everything. And we've we've gotten off subject. Let's pull it back in and pull the reins back in and talk about romance. But we need to talk about um, cover art at yeah, one time because I think sure. that would make an excellent. Definitely, because sometimes they're, you know, the look is specific to a period and it dates the book after a certain point. And that would yeah. be interesting to talk about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, but I'll rein it in. Yeah, rein it in. Okay. Yes, I'm going to rein it in and not talk about covers, even though I totally could, because the book I'm going to recommend is uh, a kind of a, a guilty pleasure, which is uh, the third book in the Psy Changeling series by Nalini Singh. Oh, I love that series. Called uh, Caressed by Ice. It's the yes. story with Judd and Brenna. Yes. And so... I've never heard of it. Okay, so you kind of have to go with me. I'm going to read the back cover really quick here. Because uh, it's set in a near future world. Kind of... But basically what you need to know is that there's three groups of people. Normal human beings, the muggles. The psychics, the psi people, who are really able to do things with their mind, but they're maybe not so physically strong and not really in touch with their bodies. And then there's the changelings who are shapeshifters, who are very in touch with their animal nature. Um, and so there's a romance between one of the psychics and one of the changelings. And it's this one's pretty entertaining. This The back cover basically is that an elite soldier in the Psy Council Judd Lauren was forced to do terrible things in the name of his people. Oh, no. I know. <laughs> Gasp. Now he's a defector. He's a defector now. And so his dark abilities have made him the most deadly of assassins. Uh-oh. Cold, pitiless, unfeeling, until he meets Brenna. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, now Brenna is the changeling. She was an innocent before she was abducted. She had her mind violated by a serial killer. Ooh. Yes, her sense yeah. of evil runs so deep, she fears she could become a killer herself. Does, so, really does she meet that, with him, like, in between her yeah, therapy yeah. appointment? Well, you know, he's a defector to where the changelings are that she lives at. And so they, be, you know, they become connected. And, um, you know, basically the story, which, and this is why it's my guilty pleasure favorite, is because... He's essentially one of those characters who's like, I'm, I can't, I can't love because it's just too dangerous. You know, he's got really strong telekinetic powers and he's terrified that if he lets loose on himself for any minute, he's going to destroy things around him and he's going to hurt somebody. He actually has killed people with this power. So it's not, you know, without, it's not just lip service, right? It's not out of the realm of possibility. And of course, Brenna is really determined to have a connection, a relationship with him. And so she's constantly getting under his skin, but she's like the nicest person, right? So she's just constantly, nicely, stubbornly stalking him, perhaps is a way to put it. And he eventually just has to give in to his desires. And it's just fun to watch this kind of relationship where he's just really good at his assassin work, but he is just not good at all with figuring out how to avoid a relationship with, the, with this woman. And so that kind of thing, I think, where you've got a character who's really good at one area and is just completely clueless in this other area of life is always fun. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, no, no matter what the genre. And this one just really kind of nails it for romance, for urban, paranormal, 
uh, romance. So that's a fun one. I, I really like that. I like her we'll stuff in general. We'll say the name again so the folks at home yep. can write it down. Caressed, Caressed by Ice by Nalini Singh. But she's got the whole series is probably like 20 books Something, now. Something, yeah, a and lot. It, you know, so you can try like maybe the first few and see if you like them. Uh, the Caressed by Ice is book three. You, you probably It's the first one I read. So if you're trying to get into this and see if it's a good series for you, that's a good one to read and see if you like your style. Um, you won't have any problem catching up with what's going on, basically. And I think she does really good with the paranormal world building side of it as well. You know, there's all kinds of subgenres for uh, romance in general. And if you're going to read one that's got a lot of fantasy in it, or sci-fi for that matter, you want to know that the world building is really good. And I think she did a great job with that as well. It's not always easy. So. And that's and that is one thing that I wanted to bring up as we sort of kind of bring our episode on romance to a close, is that there's so many genres. There yeah. are so many millions of genres. And that if you have an interest in anything, you can find a romance. For sure. For sure. Because um, there's historical. And then when you have historical, you can just go all over the place. I mean, there's, I mean, back me up on this one. There's medieval, Vikings, there's Western, Highlanders, Pirates, and everything like that. And then there's sci-fi romance. Mm -hmm. And then there's paranormal romance. And then there's, you know, new adults, uh, contemporary romantic suspense. Exactly. Yeah, com comedic romance. Yeah. Rom-coms. There's just so many. Yeah. And, you know, you can find really anything that you're looking for in romance. And, and my advice to you would be give it a try. Don't be, give it a try. God damn. And don't start, with, <laughs> don't start with Fifty Shades. Don't start with Fifty Shades because that's yeah. not romance. No. That's not, that's not romance. And don't start with Fifty Shades. And I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to go the other side. I'm going to say don't start with Pride and Prejudice. Mm -hmm. Because... Even though I consider that romantic, I don't think it's a romance per yeah, se. It's one of my favorite novels, but it's also probably pretty hard for people to start with simply because it's written in an older style of writing that a lot of people are just not used to. I know. And you do have the love story of Elizabeth yeah. Bennet and Darcy, but there's so many other things going on in that. True. You know, there's I mean, that's class it's classic and... literature. So unless you're ready to buckle down for classic literature language, don't start with that. Right. You need to start, just go middle of the road and just go to the romance section. Yeah, go to the used bookstore. Go to the used bookstore. They're 25 pick cents. Pick yeah. a few and everything like that. And just, you know, decide what you like. But you will find something in the romance section and just do it. Just don't, you know, just plunge right in there and take ownership of your love of romance as, as we all here have done that. Yeah, let us know what you like. Oh, yes, please let us know. All right. Well, I think that we have summed up romance from A to Z. Nothing else there, to does say. Does anybody else have anything they want to add? <laughs> Case closed. Case closed. We're done. So I'm exhausted. That tired me. That was a tiring one. Because we got all animated on that and everything. You couldn't Woo! see us. There was a lot of wavings of arms and air quotes. I know. have to fan Meg off. That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's I'm a middle life person. We should have gotten one so. of those old Gone with the Wind fans and just been like. Woo! I know. Right? <laughs> exactly. So 
All right. Well, I think romance, we're shutting it. We're putting it to a close. Sounds good. We're putting it to bed. Putting it to bed. <laughs> there you go. Well, thanks for joining us on Book Soup on our episode for this week. Hope you had fun listening to us. Stay Insert Lauren's clever commentary. <laughs> <laughs> Hope we haven't driven you all to drink too much. That's right. Please well, come back. Please come back. Please listen again and watch for our next episode. It's going to be fantastic. Absolutely. Check you later. Bye. Bye.